Before I begin this morning, I want to ask you to pray for me. Uh, we, Jed and I returned from Malaysia this past Tuesday, and I am uh, significantly jet-lagged. Woke up at, uh, went to bed last night about 8.15 and uh, woke up about 12.15 and never got back to sleep, so I am running on fumes, and so I, I hope I can hold this together. I picked up my phone this morning and I found a couple of nice uh, videos of me snoring <laughs> on the phone that my children had taken. <laughs> so I would ask for your prayers. Let's pray together. Lord, your grace is sufficient and we all need your grace in our weakness. Lord, I pray that you would speak to your people now, and I pray that you would encourage our hearts with the glory of what you've done and with the power that you have demonstrated in accomplishing redemption. And Lord, I pray that you would melt our hearts anew with the wonder of your mercy and cause us to be ready to respond to your mercy with all of our lives. Lord, we ask that you would cause us to feel how your compassion has, has, has washed us clean and who has accounted for all of our transgression and paid for it all. And Lord, we pray that, that this wonderful redemption that you've accomplished in the Lord Jesus, we pray that it would be renewing us and transforming us and prompting us to devote everything that we are to you for your glory. Lord, help us to live as holy and acceptable sacrifices to you. Cause us to want to devote everything that we are to you. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name and pray that you'd accomplish it by the power of your spirit. Amen. <clears throat> While we were in Malaysia, I uh, was confronted one day during a question and answer session by a guy that looked different from the other Malaysians. The, most of the, many of the Malaysians that, that attended the conference where I spoke were of Chinese background, and this guy did not look Chinese. And his accent sounded different, and he was taller than, than most of the people there. Uh, turns out he was... Uh, um, from Russia, but his, his ancestors had migrated to Iran. And so this gentleman, his name was Farshit, had grown up in Iran, which is a Muslim country, and he had grown up a Muslim, uh, but he had become a professor of English in Iran. And one day, um, over, over 20 years ago now, for some reason, the Iranians had published in the newspaper the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if it was a Christmas or it was some, some Christian holiday. And this guy read the Sermon on the Mount. This Iranian Muslim read the Sermon on the Mount in an Iranian newspaper. And he talked about how three things really stood out to him. The first thing that really struck him was the way that whereas Islam was, was primarily concerned with externals, Jesus was so obviously concerned with what was going on inside. So, for instance, Jesus saying, if anyone has looked on a woman 
lustfully in his heart, he's already committed adultery. And this was something entirely foreign to his experience to have his, his heart and his mind addressed uh, by this righteous standard. And then also, that was the first thing. The second thing that really stood out to him about Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount had to do with the way that Jesus was going after hypocrisy. So, you know, these, these statements about, about making long prayers to be seen by men. And he actually described the way that in Islam, you, you pray a number of times a day, and he said that in, in, the, in the process of these prayers, these, these people will prostrate, Muslims will prostrate themselves, and um, sometimes they will put something on the ground before him, before them that they'll put their heads on in the course of these, these prayers. And he talked about how some people who want it to be seen that they have prayed will actually take those things and impress them on their foreheads so that everybody knows that they've been uh, faithful to, to accomplish their prayers. And Jesus was indicting this hypocrisy, and it, and it really struck him. And then the third thing that, that really came home to him um, about this righteousness that Jesus was talking about is, was the knowledge that he could never attain by his own efforts the righteousness that the Sermon on the Mount was demanding from him. So it, 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 it really unsettled him in his, in his uh, faith. And then as an English professor, he was, he was a person who loved books, so he goes to a used book fair, and he actually found an English Bible. And, and um, somehow, this, the, I guess the censors don't read English, and so this had slipped through, and so he purchases this English Bible, and he begins to read it, and then in the course of his studies for his profession, he read an article about Paradise Lost, John Milton's epic poem, and that article explained substitutionary atonement. It, it explained the way that, that um, because of Adam and Eve's sin in the garden, God had provided these blood sacrifices, and it was, it was thereby through the, the substitutionary blood sacrifice that, that God had made a way for people's sins to be forgiven and for a, an alien righteousness to be granted to them. And this guy became a Christian. He had never talked to another Christian. He had never heard a sermon. Nobody had ever verbally explained the gospel to him. He read the Sermon on the Mountain. He started reading an English Bible, and then he was reading about John Milton's Paradise Lost, and he became a follower of Jesus. For 12 years, he lived a double life where, where in public, he, he acted like a Muslim. In private, he was uh, calling on the name of the Lord. He, he couldn't talk to anyone because if he had confessed Christ to anyone, he would have been killed. And, and eventually, he came to the place where he knew he had to flee Iran. And, and his uh, Iranian passport could get him to two countries. One was Turkey, one was Malaysia, and he just picked Malaysia. And so for the last nine years, he has been living as a, a religious refugee in Malaysia. And as a religious refugee, he, he is not permitted legally to work, so he can't get a job. And, and so all he can do is, is sort of under the table, uh, tutor people. And, and what's remarkable about this is that though he cannot get a job, and though, though Jesus has cost him everything, his family, his country, his, his network of friends and relationships, this guy never complained once about his hardships. What, what radiated out from this guy was awareness 
of the, of the wonder of salvation that has been granted to him. He, he, he's, he's as astonished as anyone else that, that through these, these remarkable ways, the gospel reached even to him and that God extended his mercy to him. Uh, he, he's happy, joyful, he was inquisitive, he was eager to learn the Bible, and he's an evangelist. He, he talked about how um, he, he walked me through all the, the ways that he goes after evangelizing Muslims in Malaysia. This, this man, Farshit, has experienced mercy, and he is responding to it with his whole life. It's exactly what Paul calls us to in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I would encourage you to open a copy of the Bible to Romans chapter 12, and we'll be looking this morning at, at the first two verses of this chapter. And uh, what we find here is, is something like a banner that should wave over the whole of the Christian life. What Paul has done in Romans 1 through 9 is he has walked us through the gospel and he's now turning to apply the gospel to us. It's not that there haven't, hasn't been application prior to this. There's a lot of application in Romans 6. There's a lot of application in Romans 8. But at this point, Paul is going to particularly turn to, to calling people to the life that we should live in response to the gospel. And so I want to start just by reading Romans 12, 1 and 2, just two verses. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. What Paul writes here can be thought of as like the, the photo negative or the inverted colors of the passage that Colin read a few moments ago, Romans 1, 18 through 32. Uh, I don't know if you've done this with your phone, but there's a certain button that you can push and it turns all the colors the different way. That's kind of what we, go, we, we have going on here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where in, in Romans 1... Paul was saying that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. And here, Romans 12, Paul is saying that the mercy of God has been revealed. In Romans 1, he was describing the way that, that people refused to glorify God with their bodies. And here, in Romans 12, he's calling us to, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices in acts of worship to the Lord. In Romans 1, he details all the ways that people dishonor their bodies through their sins. And here, in Romans 12, he's talking about how our bodies are to be holy sacrifices to the Lord. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is indicting the way that people worship the created things rather than the Creator. And here, the reasonable worship that's to be offered in Romans 12 is, is this offering up of ourselves as living sacrifices. There's futile thinking in Romans 1, and then there's the renewed mind in Romans 12. Also in Romans 1, uh, because people did not approve of the knowledge of God, God gave them over to an unapproved mind. But here, Paul is calling us to test and approve the will of God. 
So this is, this is a, a glorious statement here in Romans 12. And in order to feel what Paul is calling us to, we have to know what comes between all of that sin in Romans 1, really Romans 1 through 3, and what we're called to live out here in Romans 12. And of course, what comes between is the gospel, isn't it? It's, it's the gospel that takes people who are under God's wrath, refusing to glorify God, dishonoring their bodies, worshiping the creature, thinking in futile ways, and, and given over to a disapproved mind. It's the gospel that brings us to where we're ready to live out Romans 12, 1 and 2. And the good news of that gospel is that, that God has done for us what we could not have done for ourselves. That God has sent the Lord Jesus, who lived the righteous life that we were obligated to live, and then he died the devastating and, and excruciating death that we deserved to die, and then he rose from the dead to, to overcome sin and death, and he now has sent his spirit to empower us to obey what Paul calls us to here in Romans 12. So look at the first statement here in Romans 12, verse 1. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. This appeal is, is a summons. Paul is imploring and urging us to respond to the mercies of God that he's been describing. And, and we, have to, we have to know the whole story for the mercy that Paul is talking about here to make sense. It's, it's a story that the, that the scriptures tell us about how God, who is our holy creator, has righteous standards that we have all transgressed, but he has provided the Lord Jesus, and then it's out of that story that we're now summoned to live out what Paul describes here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. These mercies are, are mercies that those who know that they are condemned and then forgiven feel. These mercies, Paul, in Romans 9 through 11, Paul speaks of these mercies at least nine times. And these mercies are the profound depths of the love of God, whereby he has redeemed sinners, not because they deserve it, not because they earned it, but because out of his own overflowing goodness, he chooses to lavish mercy upon those whom he redeems. And then he says here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Notice it's the believer who is now the priest. So whereas under the old covenant, when when someone came up to the temple to offer sacrifices, the, the worshiper would dismember the animal and then ham, hand the pieces of the animal to the priest who would then take those pieces of the animal to the altar. Here, it's the believer who functions as the priest. I, urge you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, again, and Paul is assuming this Old Covenant background, this Old Testament background, where the worshiper is going to go up to the, the tabernacle or later the temple, and he's going to take an animal, and he's going to kill that animal, and he's going to dismember that animal. But now it's not an animal that's being offered, and it's not a priest 
that's, that's doing the offering, it's the worshiper, it's the believer that is both the priest and the offering. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And again, whereas under the old covenant they kill the animal, here we are offering our, our bodies, our living bodies, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. What this is calling us to is to give everything that we are to the Lord. This is calling us to devote our whole selves to God. Paul is summoning believers to recognize that by means of God's mercy, God has purchased who we are, and God deserves to have us respond with a whole life offering of ourselves to the Lord in worship, where we are functioning as the priest, even as we are the sacrifice, and Paul says in other places that, that because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence within, within us, we're even the temple. So you are the priest, you are the sacrifice, and you are the temple. And your whole life is to be one of mercy. I'm sorry, of worship. Your whole life is to be one of worship. We, we live out worship in response to God's mercy. Next, Paul says in verse 2, he, he says, Do not be conformed to this world. I'm sorry, I passed over the end of verse 1. Let me, let me go back to the, the end of verse 1 here. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Uh, notice that there's a footnote on the end of the word worship there, and down in the lower margin, I think this is actually a, a better way of rendering this, it says, or your rational service. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your rational service. In other words, this is what's logical. This is what is reasonable for you to do in response to what God has done for you. In response to what God has done for us, it's reasonable for us to give our whole lives to him. And the way that we give our whole lives to him is going to be outlined by Paul in, in really the next three chapters, the rest of chapter 12, all of 13, 14, and through about the first half of chapter 15, Paul is going to be outlining for the Romans what it looks like to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is their reasonable service or their reasonable serve, uh, response of worship, the way that people should respond to the living God. And in verse 2, he he also fleshes this out, saying at the beginning of verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here, I want to think with you just a little bit about the different ways that, that we can be tempted to be conformed to this world. And uh, the, the way that this works for us is that the stories that we hear from the world and the assumptions that the world makes about where the, where the world came from and why things are the way that they are, this is what makes the, the conformity to the world make sense to us as we're, as we're uh, 
as we're drawn into believing the, the stories that the world tells, we wind up being conformed in terms of our behavior patterns. So one of the ways that this affects us is, is by the various uh, ways that the world says, if you perform, you will have value. So whether this is athletic performance or academic performance or professional performance, the world says, if you achieve, you will be viewed as a person of value. And we are called not to be conformed to this world because fundamentally the gospel that we believe is, is a gospel that is not based upon our performance. The gospel is about what God has done for us in Christ. And we are to find our identity in Christ, in trusting the Lord Jesus, and in knowing who God has created us to be. And we're to live out of that identity, not out of our performance. Um, other, other ways in which people are tempted to be conformed to the world include the way that we think about our sexuality. And so, so people are tempted to identify by their desires or by the fulfillment of those desires or by their, their, their inclinations. And, and the scriptures are saying, you are, not, you are not the sum total of your sexual appetites. And so we, we, we are not to be conformed to the world, either in our thinking about about why it would be valid for us to seek certain kinds of pleasures or in, in how we, we think of ourselves as successful with relationship to the realization of those pleasures. We are not to be conformed to the world in those ways. Another, another controversial um, reality that has to do with conformity to the world has to do with our, our racial background. Many people in our culture today are, are, are thinking of themselves primarily with relationship to their racial heritage. And Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The story that the scriptures tell, it's a story of how in spite of who we came from, we can be united to the living God by means of our faith in his son, so that we now partake of the, this one new man. We, we now participate in this one new man, this new identity, this new humanity that is more important than where we came from. The, the Malaysian Christians that, that Jed and I fellowshiped with over the last um, several weeks, um, most of them are Chinese background believers. And, and the Chinese entered Malaysia as far back as, as the 1600s, and yet they are not regarded as, as people who are as sons of the soil, as people who are actually from Malaysia. Uh, those, those who are the sons of the soil, the people of Malaysia, they're referred to as the Malay, and by law, they're to be Muslim, and only Malays can buy certain property, and only Malays get the best kinds of loans that are, that are available in the culture. So it's a, it's, a, it's a culture, it's a government that actually discriminates against its own citizens. They, they have different sets of laws depending on what your racial background is. 
And yet, these Malaysian Christians that we were with, they, they didn't nurse grievances, they didn't harbor bitternesses, they approached life exactly as Paul calls believers to hear. Not being conformed to this world, the world wants to press us into these different categories, but being transformed by the renewal of their minds. This doesn't mean that you don't, you don't try to work for justice, but it does mean that primarily you find your identity in Christ, and primarily you, you understand life as a call to, to live out uh, being a living sacrifice. So this gives us a great purpose, an overarching purpose for which to live, and, and it gives us uh, a way to pursue knowing God and honoring Him in all of life. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul writes in verse 2, but be transformed. And he uses this word transformed uh, in, in, in another place, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and there he tells us what this transformation looks like, what it entails. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This is, what, this is what enables and empowers transformation. It's beholding the glory of the Lord Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world. In order to resist conformity to the world, we must resist the world's story. We must gaze on the glory of God in the face of Christ. And the story of the scriptures has to be our story. We have to embrace the, the story the Bible is telling. And we have to identify as the Bible would encourage us to, to find our identity. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, this renewal of the mind comes about Paul writes in, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, that God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, so we are transformed as we gaze on the glory of Christ. We're renewed as the Holy Spirit gives us life and convinces us that we are who the Scriptures say we are, that we should live as the Scriptures call us to live, that we should think of our identity as the Scriptures describe us. We are those who are made in the image of God. We are sinners, and yet Christ has died for us, and God has lavished mercy on us, a transforming mercy that enables us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And Paul writes next here in verse 2, after calling us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, he says that the purpose for this is that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. This, this testing is a kind of approval where, where we, we, tr we, we engage in these behaviors and we learn by testing and by approving that these things actually are exactly what Paul describes here, good and acceptable and perfect. So we, we, we live in accordance with God's instructions and we find the joy that only God can give. 
We find life as sacrifices. We die to the flesh. We die to our desires. We die to the world's story. And we live in the will of God. We, we test and discern God's good and acceptable and perfect will. So, how do we respond to this? I, I, think, I think the application uh, to this sermon is, is easy. And so I'll just summarize it for you in four points. In response to God's mercy, we should give ourselves completely to God. And I would urge you to search your heart and to evaluate your life and to identify those areas where you are not giving yourselves completely to the Lord. And, and in God's good pleasure and in his mercy, there is grace for us in our time of need. So places that, that, are, that are perhaps strongholds in our lives, we must call on the name of the Lord and seek to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holding nothing back but giving all that we are to him. Second, we must resist conformity to the world. We cannot believe the, the world's story, which has, in, in, in most tellings, it has no moral authority, it has no sovereign creator, it has no merciful redeemer, and it has no promise of resurrection. We must embrace the scriptures, the story that the Bible is telling, in order to resist conformity to the world. And, and related to that, we have to pursue transformation by the renewal of the mind, which involves saturating our, ourselves in Scripture and becoming people who, who know what the Scriptures teach, becoming people who meditate on the teaching of the Scriptures day and night. And as we do this, fourth, we will test and approve God's good pleasing, and perfect will. So in response to God's mercy, really what we want to do is exactly what Paul calls us to here. How would your life be different if you thought of yourself as a living sacrifice? If you thought of yourself as a priest offering your body up as a living sacrifice to God? How would your life be different if you actively sought to resist being conformed to the world? You will know better than I how that needs to apply in your specific situation. But this is what we're called to. And we must pursue this transformation by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, by faith in Christ, through the ministry of the Scriptures. Let's pray together. Father, you are worthy of lives of sacrifice. And Lord, 
I pray that you would take your word and apply it to the hearts of your people and enable your people to live out what Paul calls us to here. And Father, we pray that you would build your church here at Kenwood. We pray that you would call unbelievers to yourself. We pray that uh, people would hear the good news of the Lord Jesus and that they would be eager to respond to him in faith. We pray, Lord, that, that the gospel would bear fruit in spite of our, um, our weaknesses and inabilities. Lord, we need you, and we pray that you would be active among us, and we pray that you would um, summon people to yourself and be exalted. Lord, keep us from being conformed to the world. Transform us. Renew our minds, we pray, and help us to live out your will, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.